Well, it looks like the CDC has got us masking up again indoors. So here I am, I'm uh, marching down the hallway of the hotel, gonna go get me some more coffee. And uh, today's Eagle Haas and Hound podcast is going to be uh, about the message to Garcia. And I'm going to feature the Haas, that I, who is John Adams, our second president. And I'm gonna talk about the Eagle attribute of service. So let's get on with the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. This is J.D. for another excellent show. It's the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. Okay, so I got my coffee, and now I'm outside, so I'm taking off this dang old mask. Um, ah, nice to breathe some fresh air. I'm actually here in, uh, this is actually West Virginia, just on, on the other side of uh, the Ohio River. Um, I'm uh, doing a little message to Garcia of my own. I've got got business today in the Pittsburgh area and also Western Ohio and uh, last night I drove like a crazy man uh, got here about midnight so that I could uh, be able to do this podcast in the morning and maybe get it released before I got to do all my other business so I guess I'm kind of doing my own little message to Garcia um, and I keep saying message to Garcia let me tell you about message to Garcia it is an essay written uh, by Albert Hubbard uh, back in 1899 and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and play you that on this on this clip so you can understand what I'm talking about uh, please bear with me as I read it to you and uh, we're gonna talk about that and how it applies to today's episode of Eagle Haas and Hound today I'm gonna share with you the message to Garcia you can find it by doing any web search. Just go to your browser, pull up your favorite search engine, and type in message to Garcia. See a lot pops up, and one of the early ones here is a PDF file. It's basically just a two-page essay written in 1899 by Albert Hubbard, and it's very powerful. In fact, this version shows three pages I guess it's just a font size. It's something that was very powerful for me in my early training, and I think it would be powerful for anybody at any stage of their life if you were to read it and understand it. So here goes, message to Garcia. A message to Garcia by Albert Hubbard, 1899. It's about the Spanish-American War trying to get a message to a general in Cuba. In all this Cuban business, there is one man stands out on the horizon of my memory like Mars at perihelion. When war broke out between Spain and the United States, it was very necessary to communicate quickly with the leader of the insurgents. Garcia was somewhere in the mountain vastness of Cuba. No one knew where. No mail or telegraph could reach him. The president must secure his cooperation and quickly. What to do? Someone said to the president, there's a fellow by the name of Rowan who will find Garcia for you if anybody can. Rowan was sent for and given a letter to be delivered to Garcia. How the fellow by name of Rowan took the letter, sealed it up in an oilskin pouch, strapped it over his heart, 
in four days landed by night off the coast of Cuba from an open boat, disappeared into the jungle, and in three weeks came out on the other side of the island, having traversed a hostile country on foot and having delivered his letter to Garcia, are things I have no special desire now to tell in detail. The point I wish to make is this. McKinley gave Rowan a letter to be delivered to Garcia. Rowan took the letter and did not ask, Where is he at? By the eternal, there is a man whose form should be cast in deathless bronze and the statue placed in every college in the land. It is not book-learning young men need, nor instruction about this or that, but a stiffening of the vertebrae which will cause them to be loyal to a trust, to act promptly, concentrate their energies, do the thing, carry a message to Garcia. General Garcia is dead now, but there are other Garcias. No man has, who has endeavored to carry out an enterprise where many hands were needed, but has been well nigh appalled at times by the imbecility of the average man, the inability or unwillingness to concentrate on a thing and do it. Slipshod assistance, foolish inattention, dowdy indifference, and half-hearted work seem the rule, and no man succeeds unless by hook or crook or threat he forces or bribes other men to assist him, or mayhap God in his goodness performs a miracle and sends him an angel of light for an assistant. You, reader, put this matter to a test. You are sitting now in your office. Six clerks are within your call. Summon any one and make this request. Please look in the encyclopedia and make a brief memorandum for me concerning the life of Correggio. Will the clerk quietly say, yes, sir, and go do the task? On your life, he will not. He will look at you out of a fishy eye and ask one or more of the following questions. Who is he? Which encyclopedia? Where is the encyclopedia? Was I hired for that? Don't you mean Bismarck? What's the matter with Charlie doing it? Is he dead? Is there any hurry? Shan't I bring you the book and let you look it up yourself? What do you want to know for? And I lay you 10 to 1 that after you've answered the questions and explained how to find the information and why you want it, the clerk will go off and get one of the other clerks to help him find Garcia and then come back and tell you there is no such man. Of course, I may lose my bet, but according to the law of average, I will not. Now, if you are wise, you will not bother to explain to your assistant that Correggio is indexed under the C's, not in the K's, but you will smile sweetly and say, never mind, and go look it up yourself. And this incapacity for independent action, this moral stupidity, this infirmity of the will, this unwillingness to cheerfully catch hold and lift, are the things that put pure socialism so far into the future. If men will not act for themselves, what will they do when the benefit of their effort is for all? A first mate with knotted club seems necessary, and the dread of getting the bounce Saturday night holds many a worker in his place. Advertise for a sonographer, and nine times out of ten, nine out of ten who apply can neither spell nor punctuate, 
and do not think it necessary to. Can such a one write a letter to Garcia? You see that bookkeeper, said the foreman with a, me, to me in a large factory. Yes, what about him? Well, he's a fine accountant, but if I'd send him to town on an errand, he might accomplish the errand all right, and on the other hand, might stop at four saloons on the way, and when he got to Main Street, would forget what he had been sent for. Can such a man be entrusted to carry a message to Garcia? We have recently been hearing much maudlin sympathy expressed for the downtrodden denizen of the sweatshop and the homeless wanderer searching for honest employment. And with it all, often go many hard words for the men in power. Nothing is said about the employer who grows old before his time in a vain attempt to get frowsy ne'er-do-wells to do intelligent work, and his long patient striving with help that does nothing but loaf when, the, when his back is turned. In every store and factory, there is a constant weeding out process going on. The employer is constantly sending away help that have shown their incapacity to further the interests of the business, and others are being taken on. No matter how good times are, this sorting continues. Only if times are hard and work is scarce, this sorting is done finer, but out and forever out, the incompetent and unworthy go. It is the survival of the fittest. Self-interest prompts every employer to keep the best those who can carry a message to Garcia. I know one man of really brilliant parts who has not the ability to manage a business of his own, and yet who is absolutely worthless to anyone else because he carries with him constantly the insane suspicion that his employer is oppressing or intending to oppress him. He cannot give orders, and he will not receive them. Should a message be given him to take to Garcia, his answer would probably be, take it yourself. Tonight, this man walks the streets looking for work. The wind whistling through his threadbare coat. No one who wants him, no one who knows him dare employ him, for he is a regular firebrand of discontent. He is impervious to reason, and the only thing that can impress him is the toe of a thick-soled number nine boot. Of course, I know that one so morally deformed is no less to be pitied than a physical cripple, but in your pitying, let us drop a tear too for the men who are striving to carry on a great enterprise, whose working hours are not limited by the whistle, and whose hair is fast turning white through the struggle to hold the line in dowdy indifference, slipshod imbecility, and the heartless ingratitude which, for their but for their enterprise would be both hungry and homeless. Have I put the matter too strongly? Possibly I have, but when all the world has gone a-slumming, I wish to speak a word of sympathy for the man who succeeds, the man who, against great odds, has directed the efforts of others and, having succeeded, finds there's nothing in it, nothing but bare board and clothes. I have carried a dinner pail and worked for a day's wages, and I have also been an employer of labor, and I know there is something to be said on both sides. There is no excellence, per se, in poverty. Rags are no recommendation, and all employers are not rapacious and high-handed, any more than all poor men are virtuous. My heart goes out to the man 
who does his work when the boss is away, as well as when he is home, and the man who, when given a letter to Garcia, quietly takes the, mat, the missive without asking any idiotic questions and with no lurking intention of chucking it into the nearest sewer or of doing aught else but deliver it, never gets laid off, nor has to go on strike for higher wages. Civilization is one long, anxious search for just such individuals. Anything such a man asks will be granted. His kind is so rare that no employer can afford to let him go. He is wanted in every city, town, and village, in every office, shop, store, and factory. The world cries out for such. He is needed, and needed badly, needed badly, the man who can carry a message to Garcia. This has been the reading of the essay, A Message to Garcia by Albert Hubbard, written in 1899, but still very true today. Okay, so uh, I just talked for 20 minutes and I was getting, giving you some really good material, American Mutt. And uh, well, then I realized that I forgot to press play. <laughs> oh my goodness, what good stuff that just went out into the, into the uh, atmosphere. Uh, me talking about the, uh, the eagle attribute of service and then uh, talking about John Adams. Um, so I'm gonna give it another shot because I don't give up very easily. I'm gonna do this again, America. So uh, I am going to talk about the uh, message to Garcia. I'm gonna talk about the Eagle Attribute of Service and uh, I'm gonna talk about our Haas this week, uh, John Adams. So uh, uh, hopefully uh, I get it right and hopefully I'm not repeating myself too much but um, I want to get this message out to you. I've got, I've got to do my own little message to Garcia, as I mentioned earlier, to uh, get this done, get this recorded, and get this submitted uh, through uh, the channels of YouTube and uh, other uh, all the podcast networks um, before I get busy with my my work today. So it's still really early. Um, I've had my breakfast at the hotel. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. You might have seen the sign as I walked by. Um, I like staying there because they have a breakfast and uh, this is actually a brand new one uh, just you know I'm on the point so a lot of times they invite me to try out their new hotels and I so far I'm, I'm impressed so far it's very good and uh, anyway uh, here we are doing the Eagle Haas and Hound podcast it's one of my favorite activities every week I give it to you and I try to give you some information that's going to help you in your life uh, in your in your work home and family and uh, this one is a great episode, in my opinion. It's one of the one of the key elements of, of 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 our American experience is this whole idea of a message to Garcia. Okay, and uh, I talk about how this message to Garcia. It was something that was trained that I was trained in earlier in my training uh, in the Navy. So I was uh, I got to go through some officer training in the Navy and. Uh, during the early stages, within the first week, uh, you know, we were already hustling and hustling and, and uh, you know, exercising and we're sore and sweating and uh, confused and the whole thing is just, it's a tough uh, first week or two of training and uh, I remember that 
during this whole time of hustle, hustle, sweat, sweat, go, go, uh, they sat us down for a moment and we got to sit down like I'm sitting down right now, legs crossed, and we got to sit down and, and really read and absorb this essay, a two-page essay, uh, you know, about message to Garcia. And uh, I, you know, looking back, they, they timed it very well. They wanted us to learn this early on. And so they also wanted us to uh, just to take a break and, and, re and rest and relax for a moment and, and really absorb it. So we did. And, you know, having read it to you, I hope you can go back and read it yourself and see what it's all about. It's ba basically about personal initiative and uh, not taking no for an answer and not letting obstacles stop you but to carry on and get done what you need to get done uh, with no excuses, okay? This is the message to Garcia. So um, I know in my training, I'm, I'm with the class of 93 at, at Annapolis. My classmates that I, I talk to today, I'm 50 years old, today I can call any one of my classmates on the phone and say, message to Garcia. <laughs> they know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, I'm sure that they are living and carrying on the message to Garcia in their daily lives and in their work lives, uh, even today. I know I am, um, because it was a powerful lesson, okay? So, uh, you know, today's Eagle Attribute of Service has a lot to do with that message to Garcia. And so this time I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak on it again. Maybe I'll even speak better and uh, I'll do it uh, and I'll make sure that I'm recording it. So I, I, I gotta save my own time because I got, I got stuff to do. I'm gonna get up and walk now and uh, hopefully I don't mess this up. So I'm gonna talk about the Eagle Attribute of Service. So people from a service background have these natural uh, attributes that are imbued in them imbued being i-m-b-u-e-d imbued it means that you're soaked to the bone it means that it's part of you part of your element and who you are all the way down to your sinew okay you are imbued um there are the at the there are uh, uh synonyms to the word imbued synonyms being things that are meaning just like it synonyms such as soaked saturated or infused but the difference is a sponge is soaked a material is saturated or infused a person is imbued so the person of the eagle okay someone who went through a service background uh, either from armed forces law enforcement fire and rescue or spouses they come out imbued with these attributes service sacrifice strength honor courage commitment and respect and I talk about these attributes because they're valuable. They're valuable to persons, they're valuable to employers, and everything that the eagle is all about is these attributes. These, when, when, uh, when I encourage employers to uh, employ the eagle, I'm encouraging them to employ the eagle attributes, okay? Uh, when they gain a person who is themselves an eagle, they should already have these attributes imbued in them. But when they employ anybody, any common American mutt like you, okay, or me. It's a good thing for them to employ these attributes, okay, because these are going to make their business better. When people are uh, acting in service, for instance, it's a selfless act, okay. Service is something that you give to the greater good, you give to others, not looking at yourself, okay. And so this training that I went through that many others have too, uh, and the experience not the training is one thing, but the experience is really when it really sets in okay is This mindset of service is I will give 
without expecting in return, okay? I will give because it's the right thing to do. And I'm not gonna sit around and, and ask myself, why am I doing this? Should I do this? Is it, is it something that's gonna make me better or gonna make, make uh, something good for me, for me, for me? No, no, that's not what service is about. Service is not about me. Service is about the others. Service is about helping other people, okay? Service is about helping the team, helping the person to your left and right, okay? And uh, it, it, it's always a good thing. Uh, service is something that, that uh, like I said, becomes natural for uh, anybody who has a service background, any eagle. And it is something that I think a lot of people develop over the course of their career. Um, it takes a little longer, I believe, for somebody who hasn't been through you know, some kind of a service uh, experience to gain this concept of selfless service. Uh, but it can be gained, okay? And uh, like I said, I think employers need that in their, in their organization. They need somebody who is willing to do what it, whatever it takes and not give a bunch of dang excuses, okay? Just like the message to Garcia. So service is like that. It's like having a message to Garcia attitude about providing whatever you are asked to provide. Okay, so that's service. That's, uh, I think I spoke a lot quicker this time and it looks like the thing is recording, so I'll carry on. <laughs> All right, so here I am doing my own little message to Garcia. I wanna get this podcast done and recorded this morning before I drive up to Pittsburgh for my meeting and then drive on further to Western Ohio for my next meeting. Um, I wanna get this done. I gotta do the, provide the content, actually put it into the, to the to the phone and then I got to download it and put it all together and edit it and upload it and all that good stuff so uh, I'm gonna do it okay and I'm not gonna not gonna give any excuses about it so today I want to talk about one of our one of our great um, American uh, revolutionary founding fathers John Adams okay John Adams did so many good things for our country and maybe he doesn't get all the respect and notoriety that people like George Washington get and uh, you know Thomas Jefferson. So last week I was talking about Jefferson and I was standing there in Washington DC. I was showing you the Jefferson Memorial at night and then right across there, across the water, you could see the, the Washington Monument uh, looking great at night. They, those monuments and memorials look great in Washington DC and uh, well, I didn't see a John Adams memorial. Did you? <laughs> I see these other guys as George Washington and Jefferson. And, you know, I, I told you Jefferson is not a hoss. Not in my opinion, he's not. Mr. Slaveholder, wolf by the ear. Uh, sure, he did some things. He, he pinned the Declaration of Independence. But let me tell you something about this Declaration of Independence. John Adams is, is probably the spirit that gave us that Declaration of Independence, okay? He is the one who stood up and spoke and got people in the right frame of mind to do this Declaration of Independence, to do the act of being independent, okay? John Adams proclaimed that, yeah, that Declaration of Independence was nice. It was a written thing that was written after the fact, basically. But uh, the real Declaration of Independence was just that, being independent. And doing it okay and the doer the person is John Adams okay so here's a guy who he's he's like the common American mutt he is the guy who he didn't 
He didn't have a bunch of uh, stuff. He didn't have a bunch of servants. He wasn't like uh, Jefferson and Washington with all their slave servants. No, no. He's a hardworking guy out of Boston. And uh, when it came time for him to go down to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia, he hopped on a horse and he rode himself down from Boston to Philadelphia, okay? And uh, he did that often. He'd go back and forth himself on a horse. Uh, Two-week journey, not easy, okay? Um, he did it, okay? He was the kind of guy, he would do a message to Garcia and just do it, okay? Um, and he, and he did that in many things in his life, okay? So uh, there was a point in 1770, let me back up a little bit. He was born in 1735, okay, in Boston area of Massachusetts. And um, he, his family, okay, John Adams. Well, today I'm having some trouble. Seems like this phone is acting up with me. It just suddenly stops. And uh, well, I, I think I didn't do the recording, but it shows up eventually. So uh, anyway, I'm not sure where I have left off and I will find out in, during editing, um, which I will keep going, I will press on. I'm committed to doing this, okay? Uh, this is my message to Garcia to finish the Eagle, Haas & Hound podcast today for this week's episode. And uh, this is kind of how it goes. Almost every week something's happening, all right? Something else is going on that could stop me if I just said, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be Mr. Excuse Guy and give an excuse. Um, well, that's not like me. Not my, my early training is no excuse, okay? And I am proceeding with no excuse, okay? So I'm gonna talk about John Adams a little bit more. He proceeded with no excuse, okay? Um, when it came time to stand up and speak at the Continental Congress, he did. He gave no excuses. He said, no, we need to move on, okay? We need to move on and we need to press this revolution and we need to do this declaration and we need to raise money so we can fight this British empire that's been imposing on us and he got everybody fired up and off they went they pr proposed and they wrote and they signed the declaration of independence and then after that he john adams he didn't sit around he got busy and he uh, became the person who uh, was the ordnance man basically the supplier of of the army for Wa Washington's army. In fact, uh, John Adams is the one who nominated George Washington to be the commander of the American army, the Revolutionary Army. Uh, he nominated because he was a leader. He stood up and said, hey, this guy Washington, he should be the leader. And uh, everybody seconded to that and voted it. And here he was, he was appointed as the general for the Revolutionary Army. So, okay, John Adams, he's the one that thought of that. He's the one that pushed that. He's that spark plug that did it, okay? And then, he took initiative himself to be the person who supplied that army and raised money. One of the things he had to do, he went over to, jumped on a ship, floated across the Atlantic to, to go to France and uh, try to try to work with the French. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier in his, uh, his own style, he was, uh, he pulled no punches, he was honest and he didn't beat around the bush. He wasn't Mr. Uh, uh, suave uh, diplomat like the French were expecting. And so the French rejected him. Um, and instead of him just going home crying <laughs> or stopping, he didn't do that. He went, he goes over to, uh, to Holland, okay? And uh, he starts to raise money from them and get some support from them, uh, which he does. And that support gets you know sent in the form of uh, resources to help uh, fight and win the Revolutionary War. 
So uh, anyway, that's one of the things. That's one trip that he, he took a trip in, uh, I think it was 1777, and then he had to take another trip in 1779. The first trip he had his son, uh, John Quincy Adams with him. And then the second trip, 1779, he had two sons. By this time, John Quincy Adams was 12 and his other his younger son was eight. And uh, he, with his two sons, are over there in Europe. The ship uh, was disabled and they had to actually land in Spain. And he needed to get up to France. So uh, what does he do? He, instead of waiting around a whole month for the ship to be repaired and then, then float towards where he needed to go in France, he decides to go uh, on donkeys. He and his sons get donkeys and they traverse Spain through the treacherous Pyrenees Mountains during the winter time <laughs> on donkeys so that they can get to their destination in France. This is a message to Garcia kind of guy. He is our kind of guy, American Mutt, just like we would expect, okay? John Adams, okay? He did it, he got it done. He didn't pull any excuses. He had a mission and he got it done. John Adams. So, he, I call him a hoss. I call him a hoss because he was a leader who pressed for betterment of America. And the American ideal of freedom and individual freedom, okay, that is some kind of a concept that was needed at the time and is still needed today. And he had the courage to push for that. Um, so his work that he did, the courage that he did to stand up and face the p potential of his own death, you know, for being treasonous and standing and saying, speaking out against the, uh, the, the crown of, of, of Britain, uh, he could have he could have been hanged okay um, anyway that that makes him in my mind a a, a, uh, a hoss okay just just for the just for the common American mutt for all Americans for the concept of freedom this guy John Adams he made a big big difference okay he didn't give excuses he did a message to Garcia um, so John Adams that you know I, I talked about him riding on horseback back and forth between Boston I talked about him traversing the Atlantic and having those troubles, going on donkeys. Um, it didn't matter. It seemed like nothing would stop this guy, okay? When he finally got back to America, he was involved in uh, getting that Constitution going. He becomes our first vice president, okay? Uh, the guy that he had nominated for the Continental Army, George Washington, he was a popular guy. George Washington was elected president. John Adams was... Uh, he, was, he, he didn't get as many votes, so he was the vice president, and John Adams did his duty. He fulfilled what he needed to do, but during this time as vice president, he had to be in charge of the Senate, and uh, he didn't really like that job very much because it, what there, he didn't feel like there was much action. I mean, there were 30-some-odd times that he had to provide the tie-breaking vote on stuff, but most of the time he just sat there, and he probably got a little bit overweight because they started calling him... Uh, uh, what do they call him? Something like his rotunditude. Because <laughs> I, I guess he gained a little weight of sitting there in the Senate for those eight years uh, as the vice president. And uh, he just felt like that, that was a tough position to be in. He, he was a man of action, and that was not his kind of thing to sit there and babysit the Senate and its proceedings. And anyway, he got his chance to be the president uh, the, after the second term when uh, George Washington said, no, that's enough for me, I'm not gonna run again because George Washington didn't wanna be perceived as trying to be the king. 
he wanted to do like like he was doing and say hey this is a president this is somebody who can be re who can be refreshed okay and so after two terms he's he did not run for re-election john adams ran against uh thomas jefferson and he won he beat jefferson by you know kind of a, a slim margin but he did win and jefferson had become his vice president back in those days the number one person became president the number two person became vice president and this is before the uh political parties really had uh taken hold but during this time when john adams was president the uh, federalists uh which john adams was the these are people that thought that the federal government should have more power and that the the, the whole united states should act as one sovereign country uh they were opposed the federalists were opposed to the other group, which was the Democratic group. The Democratic group was led by Thomas Jefferson. And these Democratic fellows believed that the states should have individual sovereignty and only be held loosely together by a confederation and that the states should do whatever the hell they want to do, and uh, including slavery, okay? That's why I busted on John, or busted on Tom Jefferson because of his slave holding habits. That's why he's not a hoss, okay? Um, but his party started to take hold, mostly the Southerners, but not, not only the Southerners, okay? Um, the, the Democratic people, they, they were all over these colonies, just as we are today. We have Democratic people all over, uh, all over our states, okay? When that party was started, they wanted states' rights. States' rights was a guise for we want to do our slavery. We want to own people, and we want to we want to treat them like they're chattel, like they're not even human. And uh, this is what this is what the Democratic Party did back then, and what they continue to do now. But that's for another another topic. Anyway, the Federalists um, they wanted to try to make America stronger. John Adams had done something that he kept us out of war. There was a time during during his presidency that the French and the British were at it again. They were at war, and uh, he maintained America's independence during that time and uh, trying to make sure that we were not entangled in that conflict, and he succeeded, okay? So uh, at the very end of his presidency in, uh, in 1800, he lost the election. So just before he was uh, going out of office, <laughs> he appointed some midnight judges. <laughs> So it's kind of a tricky thing to do because most of those judges were overturned uh, as soon as Jefferson came on board. The, you know, the Democratic people, they uh, didn't like those judges and they, they, they got them out of there. But one of them that they did not get out of there, which was a key person who was appointed by John Adams, was this guy named John Marshall. Okay, John Marshall becomes uh, one of our very first Supreme Court chief justices who helped to shape uh the the judicial branch okay so this is another credit that i will give to john adams is his his ability to promote this fellow named john marshall to the chief justice position uh for the supreme court because john marshall was so key in uh making our government balanced okay yes we needed a strong executive we needed a strong legislative but we also needed a strong judicial branch and uh, that's what we got with John Marshall in the, in the Supreme Court um, because of John Adams' action. So I'm going to finish up with John Adams. I like him so much because he is my kind of guy, a man of service, a man who knew the message to, message to Garcia, and he acted it. Um, 
even though there were so many things that it could have stopped him, so many excuses that he could have just bowed out, he did not. He continued, and we benefited greatly from it, okay? So I will call him a hoss just because of his tenacity, okay? He did not give up. He stood up and he spoke, and he got people into action. Another thing that he did that helped to promote the, the constitution of many, many states was... Uh, he wrote, he wrote a pamphlet called Thoughts on Government, okay? And that was used as a model for many states to write their own state constitutions. So you can look that up. That's another good thing that he did. I would say that would make him a hoss indeed just because of that, okay? Was just his early thoughts being one of these revolutionary thinkers that thought, hey, America can do this thing. We can do this thing where individuals have the ability to have rights, okay? This whole idea of a constitution that flew in the face of what the Democratic people wanted. The Democratic people, they did not really want that. They wanted the states to have their own ability to be the ones in charge. They wanted the states to have the rights. They wanted to say, we the states, not we the people. Like I had mentioned back uh, a couple weeks ago about Patrick Henry, okay? Anyway, uh, I see that this episode is getting long. I'm going to go ahead and stop it now. The last, uh, the last thing I'll say is that uh, John Adams and... Uh, Thomas Jefferson had their differences, um, but they did learn to reconcile, and for the last 14 years of each of their lives, they corresponded with many, many letters, and, uh, you know, I'll encourage you to try to look up some of those letters. I'm going to look that up myself, and this whole journey of doing this Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast, I have decided to to research, go to the library, check out books, to read, to learn for myself many of the things that I was not taught in school, okay? And I encourage you to do the same. We don't need to uh, only listen to the uh, Cliff Notes version of American history that's given to us by uh, people who are leaning in one particular direction uh, politically, uh, who want to who want to keep us uh, heading towards socialism. Today, it's it's so strong. Today, the party that's in power who wants socialism, um, but this guy John Adams, he did not. He wanted individual rights. He wanted individual um, uh, opportunity. Okay, equal opportunity for individuals, and this makes him a hoss, John Adams. Get up, quarter to four. I go to work and I hit the floor. Hard work, work. 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 All right, guys, that's awesome.